Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm David Rennie, The Economist Beijing Bureau Chief. And I'm here with my co-host Alice Su, our senior China correspondent based in Taipei. Once upon a time, Hollywood blockbusters routinely topped China's box office charts. But today, homegrown Chinese films are taking their place. And these new movies, they're not the clunky propaganda of old. These are big-budget, star-studded affairs. And just like their Western equivalents, they're a window into how China sees itself and wants to be seen. Born to Fly, or Chang Kong Zhuang, is a new film about the People's Liberation Army Air Force. It's been a hit with Chinese moviegoers. Some people are comparing it to the American movie Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise. This week, we're asking, what do these Chinese and American versions of Top Gun say about how the two superpowers see themselves? This is Drum Tower. From The Economist. Alice, how was your week? Hi, David. My week has been going well. We don't have a May holiday here. We only have one day off. But I've been using that time to do a lot of reading. And recently I've gone down this rabbit hole of Japanese feminist literature. And I got into it in part because Japanese feminism has become very popular in China. And there are all these books that Chinese young women are reading about women in another Asian society that is very, very patriarchal. Perhaps because feminism has been so suppressed in China, people are turning to Japanese literature instead. It's so interesting. Yeah. And how about you, David? For the purposes of this episode, I've watched so many movies about fighter planes. So I went to see Born to Fly in the cinema, but also watched Top Gun Maverick, which I had not seen, and mm. also Top Gun from 1986, which I don't think I had seen. Mm. Let's say I'm not the target audience for these films. For any of them. For any of them. So You made a sacrifice for work. I did. I, did. I went to the cinema for work, which obviously a lot of people would not consider a sacrifice. I also watched the first Top Gun yesterday for the first time. And I've had that song, Take My Breath Away, playing in my head for almost 24 hours now. Also, I realized how square I am because I kept thinking how dangerous it is that he rides without a helmet on his motorcycle. Oh. <laughs> so that is how square I am. That's why he's cool. That's why he's an American hero. <laughs> yeah. And he had a glass of wine as well. I was thinking, oh, that's just oh not God. good. That's not safe, is it? So let's get talking about Born to Fly, this new Chinese movie that has just come out. So first things first, this episode is one long spoiler. Okay, but I'm actually really looking forward to having this conversation, David, because I haven't been able to watch Born to Fly, despite all my attempts to see it, all of my browsing of all the sketchy pirating websites. I'm here in Taiwan, and I think a movie about China's Air Force and those pilots who are flying all around Taiwan every day is the last thing that would be shown in cinemas here. So I'll have to rely on you telling me the story. 
So I'm sorry. So you now have a laptop full of malware. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I also make sacrifices for work. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So this movie is actually kind of a little bit Top Gun, a little bit the right stuff, because it's about test pilots. It's about a bunch of young test pilots. And they're at this remote airbase in the desert trying to perfect a new stealth fighter so that China can hold its own against a foreign enemy that looks a lot like America that is beating at China's doors. So that is a clip from the official trailer and they are saying that there's a fourth generation foreign fighter jet that has invaded China's sea jurisdiction, but China's planes are still at the third generation. So they're behind and they need to catch up. Yeah. And so that is the core plot. It's like this humiliation to revenge narrative arc. And it was the big patriotic release of this May Day holiday weekend. Oh, and that is a big deal, isn't it? Because May Day is one of the biggest holidays in China. Most people get a whole week off. And so if you get one of those coveted release dates, you're pretty much guaranteed that a lot of people are going to come and watch your movie. And I remember that in the past, big Hollywood movies would try really hard to get those May Day release dates. 10 years ago, in 2013, Iron Man 3 came out around the May holiday. But nowadays, it seems like those slots are all reserved for the big Chinese films. Yeah, so China has had a strict system, as you know, Alice, of quotas for foreign films for years, but it does seem to be getting stricter still. There's a couple of big American blockbusters coming, but no, this was all Chinese movies this May Day. Initially, the people who made Top Gun Maverick really wanted to get their movie screened in China and to get that huge Chinese audience watching their film to the point where they very controversially censored their film before it was even released. David, check out this trailer for Top Gun Maverick that came out a while ago. David, you can see in that one scene, Tom Cruise, he pulls on his iconic leather jacket that he wore in the first Top Gun, but these patches on the back have changed, right? So in the past, there was a Japanese flag, there was an ROC, Republic of China flag, which is the Taiwanese flag today. And in this trailer, they've just become these strange, unidentifiable flags. So there was a lot of outrage and criticism, you know, at this idea that the makers of Top Gun seem to be censoring themselves so that they could get in with the Chinese market. Because you could never show a Taiwanese flag in a film shown on the mainland, right? Yeah, that's right. I remember the press reporting at the time, this was linked back to a sort of multi-million dollar investment by a big Chinese tech company, Tencent, that they actually had put into the Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, but Tencent actually eventually pulled out very quietly from that investment, perhaps because they realized it wasn't the wisest move to be investing in a movie that celebrates the American military at a time when US-China tensions are so high. It just shows you how fast things have moved, right? I mean, now you wouldn't even begin to think of as a Chinese company investing in a movie about the American Air Force being good. And then finally, Top Gun Maverick did come out. And lo and behold, that Taiwan flag was back there on that jacket. And it was wildly successful. It was very popular here in Taiwan, but also, you know, really popular outside. But it did not show in China. And that's becoming a trend, right? Chinese viewers are generally not only being shown fewer American movies, but we had a nice data piece in The Economist that... Actually, Chinese viewers just are now much more interested in watching Chinese films than American blockbusters. Why do you think that is, Alice? Well, in some ways, Chinese films and Chinese propaganda films are getting a lot better than they used to be, right? Their special effects are getting much more advanced. In fact, it's rumored that this movie you just saw, Born to Fly, it was supposed to come out earlier, but 
it got stopped by the authorities because Top Gun Maverick had come out and the special effects were so good. The Chinese authorities maybe wanted to wait and improve the special effects on this movie before it was released. That's true. It was going to come out during the October holidays last autumn. And the filmmakers just put out this kind of notice saying that they were working to improve the special effects. I would say, actually, that one huge and perhaps the most important reason why these kinds of Chinese films, they call them like main melody films with these very patriotic, nationalistic themes, they're getting higher box office numbers because the Chinese state wants it to be that way. They intentionally have blocked a lot of Hollywood films from coming in. And every time a big patriotic film like this one or like Changjing Hu, Battle for Lake Changjin, comes out, there's always a big push from the authorities to bust people into the cinemas, right? Students go with their teachers and their classes and employees go with their office colleagues and everyone is meant to go and see the film as kind of part of your citizen's duty. I guess what worries me a bit more about the Chinese setup is that there are also these political censorship barriers being erected to Hollywood films. You know, I'm generally in favor of audiences getting to choose what they watch. And I do generally worry about China's leaders choosing to close the country off from the world. Yeah, right. And it's not only about closing Chinese cinemas to a lot of foreign films, right? It's also about much tighter censorship on Chinese films themselves and much more state-led direction on the messaging that's supposed to come out in Chinese films these days. So let's get back to that most recent main melody movie that you just watched, David, Born to Fly. Did Born to Fly get a big audience reception? Were the theaters crowded, lots of people going? It's kind of anecdote versus data. So the box office numbers are pretty good. I think it was hitting 100 million renminbi a day in sales. So it was kind of at or near the top of the box office. I went to two cinemas that were showing it over the weekend in Beijing. My screening was really empty. And then another one I went to in the university district thinking, oh, maybe students are going to watch it was incredibly empty. Hmm. So it may be that central Beijing is not like the target this may be something for like third, fourth tier cities. And what were the reviews like for the movie online and on websites like Doban? So interesting. So Doban, as you say, is like people can rate the movie. When I last checked, the rating was actually going down a bit. It's currently at 6.8. It was down from seven. Hmm. That's not brilliant. That's like meh. I think it's that right. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion about the movie. None of it about the geopolitics, which is what gets me interested. It was all about two things. So as we are going to discuss, the young male lead is this former boy band pop star, hugely famous guy, Wang Yibo, who is bizarrely popular with women, though he looks about eight years old, uh, <laughs> if you're me, and looks uh -huh. like he uses a lot of skincare products. Or That's why he's attractive. <laughs> just, you know, below the belt. But anyway, yes, Wang Yibo. So yeah, about 90% of the commentary online is like, Wang Yibo is brilliant. No, he's not. He's rubbish. There's a bit of that. And then there's quite nerdy stuff about that plane isn't flying the right way or, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Not a lot about the wildly anti-American messaging mm. uh, that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I guess if someone in China did want to write a review and say, why are we being so hawkish? Surely that wouldn't last long on the Chinese internet, right? Yeah. And actually, one thing we should be fair about is there are people saying, you know, it is technically impressive. And that is definitely true. Chinese films are getting better in terms of the special effects and, and all of that. This was every bit as impressive as a Western fighter jet movie. So we're going to do a little comparison here between Top Gun Maverick. And we have four different categories to go through. The villain, the hero, the love interest, and the main themes of the two movies. So David, who is the villain in Born to Fly? The villain 
is an aggressive foreign superpower with very advanced fighter jets, which happens to speak English with an American accent. Okay, so they don't say it's America, but every viewer knows who it is. And in the very opening of the film, we see these supersonic jets flying super low over some Chinese fishermen and an oil or gas platform, knocking people into the sea, this kind of act of extreme aggression of breaking windows with a sonic boom, and then this American voice that says, well done. And David, where is all of this happening in the movie? Well, if you look at the fact that it's a gas platform, if you look at the straw conical hats that the fishermen are wearing, the best guess is the South China Sea. And so that takes you into a whole geopolitical can of worms, right? Because if you are the Chinese government or perhaps Chinese cinema audiences, the South China Sea, almost the entire of it belongs to China. And so you regard that as Chinese airspace, Chinese waters. But the problem is that there is no other country that agrees. And in fact, in the real world, China has been arguing with its neighbors, sending huge great Coast Guard boats that are basically naval vessels to bully people like the Philippines and building air bases on reclaimed reefs. The Americans do fly planes over the South China Sea, also down the Taiwan Straits where you are, and they do sail naval ships through there. But in what everyone agrees, except China, are international waters and skies. And that's a really important legal point. And so the film's premise is that these aggressive bullying foreign pilots also know that these are Chinese skies. Because when the Chinese Air Force on the radio at the beginning of the film says you're in an area under China's jurisdiction, the reply is not, actually, no, this is international airspace. The reply from these American-accented bullies is, we come and go whenever we want. So basically, like, might is right, is the response from these bullies. And then the humiliation for China is that their planes aren't as modern, and they lose a dogfight with these foreigners. And that kicks off the whole film. Wow, you know, it's striking to me how it's not named, but it's fairly clear that America is the bad guy here because in Top Gun Maverick, it's not clear. And they only discuss how the enemy is developing its technology and it has more advanced planes now. And now it's enriching uranium in violation of a multilateral treaty. And so America has to go in and take out that plant. I think the point that really strikes me as more important is that in the Top Gun movies, the villain is just there to be the villain. They don't matter. What matters is that Tom Cruise is flying around in the sky and discovering himself and all that stuff. In Born to Fly, I think it really, really matters that the villain is meant to be America mm. because this is a film designed to make Chinese public opinion believe that in the present day, America is intruding illegally as a bully into Chinese airspace. And I think, and we're going to talk about the fact that that breaks new ground for a Chinese big box office propaganda film and is pretty worrying. Yeah. And I think that also reflects the intentions of the filmmakers, right? In China, these films are meant to you know, serve a clear political purpose, whereas Top Gun Maverick, its makers had a big commercial interest in China, right? They were trying to get into the China market. They weren't going to make a movie that said China is the enemy. That's right. You know, I'm sure some listeners will say, well, hang on, didn't the Top Gun producers pay the American Navy for access to their planes and their aircraft carriers and get help from the Pentagon? Yes, they did. The Pentagon, as a result, probably has some sort of say. Yeah, it can review their scripts. Let's be clear, there isn't an equivalence between the two film industries. The Chinese film industry, particularly these big box office films, they exist to serve the interests of the Communist Party. That's their job. The promotion campaign for Born to Fly is totally open about that. State TV has been putting out these former retired pilots and PLA people to say how closely involved they were in the making of this film and how the idea of making this film is to show it to schools and colleges and kids to make them more patriotic and to make them want to serve the motherland. 
你们敢于再多扛他这几秒。I want to move on to the hero, David. Tell me about Wang Yibo and his role in this film. So the hero is a young twenty-something. Super hot fighter pilot who is plucked out to be this member of a test pilot squadron in the desert. He's played by a extraordinarily famous pop star, film star Wang Yibo, who arrives at the airbase. The vibe is very much like a sort of children's boarding school. They squabble, they fight, they get shouted at by grownups, but then they get sobered up because people start dying. They're taken to a martyr cemetery for previous generations of test pilots, and then the Wang Yibo character watches his beloved commander, this older mentor. Choose death and ride a plane into the ground rather than eject and see his plane crash into a crowded city. And so after that, Wang Yibo realizes he needs to devote his life to the motherland. I actually do see parallels here to the original Top Gun, which I just watched yesterday. Because I mean, maybe it's just a Western versus Chinese thing, but I do remember the pilots, like Tom Cruise and his buddies. They're also very childish, right? And they're kind of like playing at the bar. They just want to compete with each other. They're not taking things seriously until at one moment, like there's a death, and that really sobers everyone up, and they all realize, okay, this is serious here. So, David, is there anything in there about Wang Yibo's backstory? Where does he come from? What are his parents like? There is. There's this really remarkable moment where, after Wang Yibo character is injured in the crash that kills his commander, his parents turn up at the desert airbase, and the mother is crying and says that she can't bear for him to fly again; it's too dangerous. And this father, who's this quite affluent urban guy who says he has an engineering background, he kind of scolds him and says, "Look at how much you're worrying your mother. I found you a new job. You need to quit this business of the army." And you know, you turned down my offer to help you study overseas, which we're clearly meant to think is part of this bourgeois, unpatriotic parenting thing. And then he says, "The foreigners—they're so far ahead. It's like when they had the atom bomb and computers, and we didn't. You know, do you really think we can possibly catch up?" The Wang Yibo character gives his foreigner-worshipping parents this little lecture, and he says, "No, China has not just kind of lost its technological edge and its dignity; it has also lost its confidence. And my generation." Will give China back its confidence, and he kind of sends them packing because his family is now going to be the motherland.、Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting to hear you tell me the whole scene because I did actually see part of that in the trailer, but I didn't see the part where Wang Yibo says, "My generation is going to make China confident." I just saw where he's rejecting his father and he's saying, "Like I'm a bad son." I did think that is such a tearjerker moment, you know, to play on filial piety and. I do think that every Chinese kid just feels this overwhelming sense of obligation to care for your parents and do what they say and make them happy, and so to choose something that actively hurts them and pushes them away—it's a big deal. What you're pointing to there, Alice, which is absolutely right, is that a big difference is that China in this movie, Born to Fly, is presented as a young, rising wannabe superpower, right? And Wang Yibo is this young, rising, incredibly ambitious pilot who is breaking with his own blood family to join. The motherland to risk his life for the country. Tom Cruise in Top Gun Maverick. He's at the end of his career. He's got a lot of emotional baggage, personal baggage, and his kind of individualism is his thing. You know, he is so talented that he keeps getting forgiven for being such a rebel. But the whole premise of this film, I think, which is aimed at a an America that is feeling kind of weary and like an old superpower that isn't sure if it's still absolutely top of the heap. Tom Cruise is kind of this representative of how America feels, I think, which is maybe we've got it in us for one last mission. But yeah, the rivals are catching up on us, and they're young and they're hungry, and we're tired. But it's going to be all okay in the end because we are can-do Americans, and you know, at the last minute, we will pull together. Everything will be okay. It's kind of that very reassuring vibe. Grit. Yeah, the American secret.
It's striking that the filmmakers to promote Born to Fly have been wheeling out veteran test pilots from the real-life Chinese military to say how much they've enjoyed this film and how respectful it is, how accurate and authentic it is. Yeah, so I mean, of course, this is propaganda, but I actually do think it is quite moving because they are real voices of real Chinese test pilots saying how much sacrifice and struggle they went through and saying basically what you see in the movie, it is what they did. And it is a reality that many people gave up maybe their personal lives or maybe their actual lives, right, for the sake of developing China's fighter jets. It's linked in a very sophisticated way in the actual movie to the idea that in the modern day China, because it's got these export controls from places like America on semiconductors, that China has to make these things itself. There's a line in the movie where they talk about how, you know, Western countries could develop a stealth fighter with several countries working together, but we can't. We have to do it on our own. Although that ignores the fact they kind of stole some of the technology from Russia. But leaving that on one side, there is this idea that China is being held down. It was humiliated. It knows how to do this on its own. And it's very much kind of as ever in Xi Jinping's China, trying to harness kind of what he would see, I guess, as the best of the Mao years, that spirit of China alone, far off, cut away from the world. It's a very, very different vibe from even a few years ago, where China was all about collaboration and absorbing foreign technologies. David, that is quite a grim message. And I want to know about how Wang Yibo fits into all of this, and if there's a love interest in Born to Fly. But First, we wanted to remind you that you can read much more about Born to Fly in David's Chaguan column this week, as well as a piece about why China doesn't want immigration as a solution to its shrinking population, and another piece about China's troubling expansion of its counter-espionage law. If you're not a subscriber already, we have a free 30-day digital subscription just for our listeners. Visit economist.com slash drum offer to find out more. So David, Born to Fly's lead, Wang Yibo, is a huge star in China with a big fan following, especially among younger women. Is there a love interest or romance for him in the film? As you'd expect from a film that the PLA vets your scripts, there is no sex in Born to Fly. Wang Yibo is the only character who's allowed any kind of love interest at all. There's this female doctor who shyly puts the odd sort of monitor on his chest when he's doing an exercise routine. To show you how kind of well-disciplined this is, there's a moment where Wang Yibo has nearly died, I think for the second time. He emerges kind of, you know, smoldering gently from the cockpit of his plane. She's standing on the tarmac. And in the Hollywood movie, there would be a big kiss or whatever. Instead of which, she gives him this shy little smile and he gives her a shy little smile. And then we cut to, I don't know, some political commissar talking about the motherland. So oh, and at one point, Wang Yibo shows her that he actually has feelings for her because he makes her a toy aeroplane oh. and gives it to her as a present. 
Okay, it's PG, PLA approved, steamy scene. PG, PLA, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was really curious because as you may have noticed when you were researching this film, Wang Yibo is a huge star in China. But it's curious because one reason why he's so popular is because he's been involved in this phenomenon called boys love, right? He's acted in these dramas where essentially he co-stars with another very handsome, very girly looking, good skincare vibe male co-lead. And they have an intimate, close relationship with a lot of suggestions of romance, but it's never quite realized. <laughs> This is something that a lot of Chinese fans, primarily young women, have been really into. And that's, of course, is something that the Chinese state frowns upon. But I was quite curious to know if there was any of that in this movie, if they capitalized on his sex appeal in that sense. Absolutely none. No, no, zero. zero. Wait, okay, yeah, David, sorry, I have to interrupt you there because I've spoken with our producers who went to watch the movie in London and they say that there are loads of scenes like that of kind of suggestive boys lovey scenes. When? <laughs> okay, maybe you, you weren't able to catch it. Well, there's boys lovey bits in this. It's incredibly squeaky clean to the point that it's like watching a boarding school type thing. They're all in beds in this huge shared dormitory and the conversation is about things like who's scared of dogs because they got bitten as a kid or there's this bit where they're listening at night uh-huh. to sort of cctv state television talking about foreign planes intruding on china's territory and they say you know i'd like to shoot those assholes down it's super rah rah so look i bow to pop and alicia our producers yeah they went to see the movie <laughs> if they saw lots of smoldering homoerotic subtexts then i clearly was once again not the target audience because i didn't see any of that Okay, okay. Well, I can't really push back on this because I haven't seen the film, but we'll leave it up to our listeners. I mean, if anybody does go and sees this film, let us know if you think there is any kind of that smoldering. And I, th- I think like what's interesting about it is that, of course, like sex appeal is part of the cell of a movie, right? And that's definitely in Top Gun. I remember that iconic shirtless volleyball scene from the first Top Gun. I don't know if you, you noticed that, that one. Um, I remember the volleyball, but there's none of that in Bordefly. Anyway, what can I say? Yeah, so I wonder if they have a different version of it for the Chinese market. The last category that we want to talk about is the overarching theme and the message of these movies. To me, the fundamental message is that this is preparing Chinese public opinion for the idea that we could be at war with America and... That is a pretty scary message from a country that is also building new aircraft carriers and preparing to get strong enough that one day it can invade and smother democracy in the island where you live. Yeah, that is a terrifying thought. And I, I do have to say, I don't think Top Gun Maverick you know, has, I mean, it's emotional too, but the emotion, a lot of it is about Tom Cruise and his relationships and personal redemption. And you leave on this high note of America always wins. And it's not pushing you to sacrifice for great national goal. Although, of course, like it doesn't question the American military. It doesn't question like America's role in the world. There is a kind of narcissism to a film like Top Gun Maverick that America isn't really very curious about who the bad guy is. It's all about Americans being Americans and doing their cool things because that's what they do. Right. So clearly the themes between the Chinese and American Top Guns are really different. But, you know, is this really something new in terms of Chinese 
patriotic propaganda movies. I mean, David, remember the movie Wolf Warrior 2? That was also very jingoistic, right? I mean, what is different? I'm really glad you mentioned that because, look, of course it's true. You know, at some level, China's been making propaganda films for a very, very long time. The Chinese Communist Party has been making you know, propaganda films in which Chinese soldiers kill American soldiers, you know, going back to the Korean War. What I think was a bit different when I saw this film, actually, it's a good comparison with Wolf Warrior 2. So Wolf Warrior 2, which was released 2017, I think, and was for quite a long time the most successful Chinese film in history in terms of box office. It's often remembered as the most warmongering film imaginable. And we call Chinese diplomats when they get kind of aggressive, we call them wolf warriors. I actually think that that's unfair to Wolf Warrior 2, the movie, because if you go back and watch that film, and I have for my sins watched it, I think three or four times now for work, the China that loved Wolf Warrior 2 was actually a very, very different China from the China of Xi Jinping's China right now. The China of 2017 was really self-confident. It was outward facing. Wolf Warrior 2 is about this Chinese commando rescuing Chinese civilians and some African workers from this African civil conflict. It's about evacuating civilians from a crisis. It's really scrupulous about international law. Remember that bit where the Chinese warship is desperate to fire its missiles to save the goodies from the baddies, Mm. but someone says, we have to wait for the United Nations Security Council Mm -hmm. to approve the use of force. And so they're standing on the bridge of the warship waiting for a phone call from Chinese diplomats in New York. And a huge detail, the sidekick of the Chinese hero is a half-American doctor. And the fact that she's half American is a good thing in the movie. It is true that the final scenes, he does punch a racist American mercenary to death for being racist. So, you know, there's that. But fundamentally, this is about China is now defending the UN. China is the good guy and out there in the world. Jump to this movie, Born to Fly, and it is China under siege. China being choked off and strangled by the Americans Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these are very feel-good themes for the Chinese audience because they speak to China's always the good guy. But I think that's benign, right? I think we should welcome a China that wants to be seen as the good guy around the world. And we should welcome a China that wants to work with the United Nations and rescue civilians. That's great. It's just what's striking is how far the mood has changed in the last six years. So the scientists and young men risking their lives in the desert to build a weapon that can fight the foreigners is basically kind of Mao building the bomb in the Gobi Desert, right? It's that kind of ethos. It's once again, we're back to kind of Maoist era vibes about a country under siege. Yeah. But, you know, to be fair, a lot of people would point out that movies like Top Gun are also a form of American propaganda, right? And even though we said all this stuff about Tom Cruise cares about people and individuals matter, these movies are not meant to spark discussion or criticism or questioning of the U.S. military and its role in the world, which has been very problematic in a lot of ways. You're meant to watch them and root for the hero and to feel good about that. This is also something that I think China is learning to do really well. It's something that America has been historically very good at. And in fact, there was a WikiLeaks cable that came out from 2007 where Xi Jinping was telling the then American ambassador about how much he enjoys American movies. In particular, he loved Saving Private Ryan. He reportedly told the ambassador that he particularly liked Hollywood movies about World War II because those movies are, quote, grand and truthful, and Americans have a clear outlook on values and clearly demarcate between good and evil. In American movies, of course, the Americans are good, the bad guys are bad, whoever they may be. And you can see that China is really getting better and better at 
also adapting these kinds of big blockbuster films with the heart-wrenching emotional moments to also tell a story of good and evil. Only here, China is the one that's the hero. Alice, you know, of course you're right. I mean, you know, all of these movies are kind of jingoistic at, at some level. And frankly, I'm not a fan of any of them particularly. I'm not a jingoistic guy. But I do think what's really interesting is if you're trying to say, you know, our opening question is, what does this tell us about how each country sees itself? Why should we maybe worry about this film? You know, a perfectly reasonable objection from a listener is they're just kind of popcorn movies about fighter jets. Why are you devoting time to this? I think the bottom line is that we've talked before about things like, is there going to be a war in Taiwan? And how urgent is that? And I've said to you before, Alice, that one of the things that makes me think we don't all need to head to the airport, you don't need to head to the airport in Taipei, I don't need to head to the airport in Beijing, is that they're not getting the Chinese public ready to sacrifice everything, that the war drums have not been beating as loudly as you might fear. This new film, which has the highest level support from the Chinese party, the PLA, is really about normalizing the idea that the PLA's present day mission is fighting Americans because Americans are intruding and trampling on Chinese sovereignty. But David, is it really that clear? Because you mentioned earlier that they don't even name that the enemy are Americans, right? So are they really outright shooting Americans in this film? So you're right, Alice. The enemy are foreigners in advanced jets who speak American-accented English. They don't kill these foreigners. The Chinese fighters only shoot down some unmanned drones. But this is normalizing the idea that this English-speaking American-accented bully is already in China's airspace, is firing without warning, and that is new ground for such a high-profile film. If you've got anything you want to let us know about Born to Fly or another story we've covered or one you'd like us to cover, you can email us at drum at economist.com. And thank you to the listener telling me where else I can get a smoky Lapsang Sushan. Thank you for listening to Drum Tower. We'll be back next week. Drum Tower's editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barclay Brown produced this episode. Sound design is by Tingley Lim and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tang. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell.